0: This week on WealthTrack, Matt Hogan saw the transformative power of ETFs in their infancy. What has he identified as the next big financial revolution? The potential of cryptocurrencies is next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good
1: going. Additional funding provided by Thornburg Investment Management, active management, flexible perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences. Rosalind P. Walter and the Fairholm Foundation.
0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. A decade ago, a paper called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system was posted to a mailing list discussion on cryptography by someone calling themselves Satoshi Nakamoto. The identity of the author or authors remains a mystery. Fast forward to today, and Bitcoin has become one of the most talked about and controversial technological innovations of our time. Bitcoin is a software designed to allow people to exchange value directly with a digital currency without any middleman. The units of currency that run on the Bitcoin network are called bitcoins. The number of bitcoins allowed to be issued has been limited to 21 million. But each Bitcoin can be divided to the eighth decimal place, so it can be used in very small amounts. The Bitcoin network runs on a global decentralized self-clearing ledger called the blockchain. Every Bitcoin transaction since the beginning has been recorded on the blockchain and cannot be erased or altered. The blockchain is a public spreadsheet maintained by its users. It is completely transparent. No one person or entity controls it. This whole area is also unregulated, not subject to any legal jurisdiction, not backed by any legal entity, and the value of its coins is determined by its marketplace which, as we have seen from its history, fluctuates wildly. Now, most WealthTrack guests think that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are a disaster waiting to happen, a speculative bubble bound to end in a trail of tears. This week's guest is not one of them. He is betting his career on their potential, which got my attention, and is the reason I am devoting an episode of WealthTrack to him and his belief in the future of digital currencies. He is Matt Hogan, the new head of global research at Bitwise Asset Management, a cryptocurrency asset manager founded in 2017, which has launched the world's first cryptocurrency index fund called the Hold 10 Index. Hogan is an acknowledged expert in exchange-traded funds. He remains chairman of Inside ETFs, where he was CEO until recently. Inside ETFs is the world's largest ETF education and events company. Hogan was also CEO of ETF.com, a leading ETF authority, which he helped start in 2001 when ETFs were just gaining traction. I asked Hogan why he decided to join a cryptocurrency firm.
1: I had the good fortune of being involved in the ETF industry from its infancy to today when it's a four plus trillion dollar market. I was excited about a technology that had the potential to transform a big part of the financial universe. So when I was looking around for my next big thing, I wanted to find a similar situation, a technology that was new and exciting, potentially had broad or massive uh, possibilities of influencing the world, but where all the problems weren't solved. Crypto is that. Crypto is the most exciting area of finance right now. It has massive unsolved problems. And now I'm digging in and trying to figure it out a bit.
0: So why is it the most exciting kind of development in finance right now because for outsiders such as myself it looks like this kind of just wildly speculative you know the uh, wild west and and that that it could you know it it and many other uh, technologies could possibly uh, be the next big thing but it's just yeah
1: it's and it's so speculative it's and it seems insane right like we could be sitting here in two years and be like digital money how did anyone think that was a thing I totally get that um Why is it the most important thing? Uh, In the end, the funny thing about cryptocurrency, and people get all excited, there's these celebrities and overhype. In the end, it's all about accounting. It's actually a better way of doing accounting. But it turns out that accounting and ledger keeping is hugely important. Our entire financial economy is built on that. Our entire democracy is built on that. We rely on accounting and ledger keeping for everything that we do. What crypto does is it eliminates the need for a middleman when keeping track of accounts and when you think about the reason i said it's the most important most exciting things that middleman extracts an enormous amount of value right if i'm sending money overseas international remittances uh, that middleman is taking out eight percent of what i'm sending abroad. So people who are working in the states, they literally work 1 month out of 12 for Western Union to send that money abroad. Cryptocurrency has the ability to eliminate that. And this disintermediation can happen in multiple sleeves of the financial industry, in healthcare, in food, in trade. It has opportunities that measure in the multi-trillion dollars in terms of the efficiency it can bring to the economy. That's why it's so exciting.
0: But why do we need a cryptocurrency? I mean, I mean, why for instance you know, can't the banking system get more efficient? And instead of, you know, clearing a check in a day or two, I mean, can't they develop software among themselves that they know the money's good in X bank and if I transfer it to Y bank that they can recognize it right away? I
1: totally agree with that. Theoretically, they could. The problem is that position of middleman is a position of rent-seeking power, right? When you think about wiring that money to, let's say, Africa, uh, what happens is I tell my bank to wire it. They find a U.S. bank like Bank of America that with a relationship overseas. My money goes to Bank of America. Maybe it goes to Deutsche Bank. They translate it into Euros. Then it goes to a bank in South Africa. Then it goes to another bank. That's how the wiring process works. Mm-hmm. It's like a daisy chain. Each person in that node has the ability and therefore the tendency to take a fee and a slice for their services. So could they theoretically make that more efficient? Yes. But what cryptocurrencies do is it doesn't make that marginally more efficient. It allows me to send money to that person in Africa today directly with effectively no middleman. It makes It's the ultimate solution to that. So could they get inchwise closer? Yes, if they could overcome their tendency to seek rents as a middleman. But history suggests that they're not going to do that. So why not just cut it out entirely, make it permissionless, uh, make it direct peer-to-peer, uh, and eliminate that huge portion of fees that's getting sucked out by the financial industry today.
0: I understand the appeal of that, but but let me ask you about the ETF transition, where, where you're saying that you recognized, you know, you were an early ad- adopter mm-hmm. of ETFs. You understood their Uh, the the characteristics that you you thought would be transformative for individual investors, it certainly has been. What are the qualities that, that you saw in ETFs that you are seeing in
1: cryptocurrencies? Well, I'll say two things, right? So one is a sort of community quality. If you go back 15 years ago, most of the big banks, most of the big active mutual fund managers dismissed ETFs as risky, uncertain, and likely to fail, right? And I think if you asked JP Morgan or American Funds or uh, any other major financial institution, do they wish they had jumped onto ETFs mm-hmm. 15 years ago, they would have said, of course, right? right? One of the biggest mistrades trades in the history of investing. Uh, today, you have large major financial institutions like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, et cetera, talking about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as a risk and a fad and potentially doomed to failure. I think if you fast forward, there's a chance that the same thing will be true, that they'll wish they had jumped on board. When you asked about what makes them similar, it's right. actually disintermediation. So ETFs are cheaper than mutual funds for lots of reasons. But the primary reason, honestly, the biggest chunk of fees that they cut out was when you used to buy a mutual fund, it would list on, say, Schwab's one source, And the mutual fund would have to pay Schwab 35 basis points for that listing. Schwab was an intermediary Mm -hmm. between you as an investor and your ability to invest in that fund. What an ETF did is said, let's put that on exchange, eliminate the middleman, you can buy it directly, and save those 35 basis points. It's just eliminating a middleman. The same thing is actually true in cryptocurrencies. So if you think about the arc of finance over the last 50 years and the next 50 years, it's been a constant process of disintermediation. That's what ETFs are about. That's what robo-advisors are about. Crypto is actually about the exact same thing. It's about eliminating the rent-seeking middleman through technology. And that's why I think they're similar in some ways. And that's why I think long-term, they'll be very important and succeed. Huge volatility in between, lots of risk and speculation. But long-term, it's a force towards disintermediation and efficiency, and those tend to win out.
0: I, I get that, but I also see some I mean, huge differences between cryptocurrencies and, and ETFs. And I'm thinking that, you know, um, I mean, the value of an, an ETF is based on the securities that you know mm-hmm. that make up that fund, that mm-hmm. the index that it's based on. Yep. Whereas with cryptocurrencies, there, you know, there's no, it's not based on any like tangible assets at mm-hmm. any rate, or something that that is trading out on an exchange, or that that we understand, you know, like gold you know, or stocks or bonds or, or any currencies that are issued by governments and regulated by governments. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a huge difference because we're talking about something on software. It's
1: very completely true. So there are yeah. big differences between yeah. ETFs and crypto. One which we should start out with is their place in a portfolio. ETFs should be 98% of your portfolio, yeah. low cost. Crypto is for the bleeding edge of risk-tolerant investors. Like 1% or 2% allocation to crypto is probably the most anyone should have. So that, at,
0: at this stage? At this stage. At, at this
1: early stage. Let's start there. It's extraordinarily risky. Um, now, the, the other point about ETFs holding something tangible, it's funny that you mentioned gold. Right. right. Because gold is only valuable because we believe it's valuable. Right? There is no. Well, it it also has a
0: history of thousands of years. It has a history of thousands of years. Where it was recognized as a source of value and where coins were minted in gold and.
1: And it was exchangeable and backed by the government until we moved off the gold standard in 73. So since then, it's been a collective fiction and it's continued its exact pattern of return of being a good store of value. You can still buy a nice man's suit for one ounce of gold, which has been true for 300 years. Um, And also
0: jewelry. I mean, it has other industrial uses.
1: True, but the value of gold used in those industrial uses would be measured in in tens or maybe $100, not the price of gold today. So it's a collective fiction of wealth. And it works. I believe in it. Um, Bitcoin is the same thing. Uh, except it's a collective fiction of wealth as a store of value. It has value because people believe it has value and they understand through math and software that it will follow certain rules and protocols. Um, But it also has potential application and use cases in the future, right? So I think people who think of it only as a store of value are omitting the idea or or casting aside the idea that it could be an important transactional currency. Um, I think people are understating things like Ethereum, which is the second largest coin in the space, which has the ability to do smart contracts and eliminate uh, uh, middlemen in the middle of many Mm -hmm. contract negotiations, whether that's uh, with your house, uh, whether it's buying something, so I think it does have a store of value characteristic. It also has a use case. It's just the use cases are still developing; they're nascent. But to say they'll never happen, I think, is folly.
0: Yeah. So I'm not saying they'll never happen, but I'm just wondering, like, when and, and when it will be recognized. So, so when you talk about uh, cryptocurrencies as being transactional, mm-hmm. uh, so is that where blockchain comes in? It comes in. I and and tell me what we need to know about. Blockchain as well, in this whole universe. Yeah,
1: sure, absolutely. Um, So, blockchain is the underlying uh, technology that makes this ledger keeping so much more efficient.
0: Okay, so blockchain is the underlying technology for
1: for all these cryptocurrencies, and Bitcoin is one blockchain, uh, and it's actually the currency that powers that blockchain. Right. So, uh, the way a blockchain works. Uh, we've known for a long time how to do digital transactions. I can send you something with a private signature through cryptography, and you can receive it. Right. Uh, the risk is with digital, we haven't had digital scarcity. In other words, if I send money to you that's a bunch of stream of numbers, I could also send that same stream of numbers to someone else, and someone else, and someone else. And you could just make ultimate copies of that, right? And that's why it's been difficult. What blockchain does is there's a process called mining, where the... the, the blockchain or the Bitcoin miners look at all the transactions. They have to solve a mathematical puzzle to piece them together. And in that process, they timestamp that the only transaction that mattered for this string of numbers was the one I sent to you, and everything else is invalid. So it's created for the first time this concept of digital scarcity, which allows you to put things onto like transactions, like sending you money, or like contracts, onto a blockchain in a reasonable way that you can believe in. It becomes transactional when we can buy and sell things with it, which right now uh, we can't, right? It, it doesn't have the scale. It doesn't have the use most places. Yes, you can send money to people internationally, but it's difficult. But that's because it's an early-stage technology. The, the risk is, you know, people are thinking of this as the first digital camera, which was terrible, right? Mm-hmm. It produced sort of blurry black-and-white images. Uh, but they don't remember that technology increases and expands over time, and so the use cases are many years out. Now, that has application for investors because investors who are buying it today and selling it in a month from now, they're not approaching the space, right? This is like a venture capital investment. You should be buying this and holding it for five or seven years. We won't know if that bet works out for five or seven years. The problem is venture capital investments don't get repriced on a second-by-second basis. They only get repriced when the asset was sold. The big risk here, investors are buying an early-stage venture investment, that's marking every second of every day. That's why it seems so volatile. Yeah. But that doesn't disprove that it's increasing in value over time. And if you look over time, there has been amazing growth in the value of cryptocurrencies, even while they've been that volatile.
0: So, you know, the other thing that I don't understand you know, is, is how the price is determined. And, and again, I mean, just looking into this, we still don't know who created mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies, right? We don't, we don't know who the authors are, we don't know who created the software. Um, so it's the, it's an orphan idea I mean, yep. just and and also I don't know like who's controlling the price I mean I don't know I mean for instance there I remember you telling me um, that there are there are only a limited number of um, of coins that can be created That's and it's right. 21 million or something. 21 and, million. And, but you know, who established that? And if they establish that, why can't they, you know, tomorrow say, oh, well, you know, we're upping it to hundred million <laughs> or, you know, I, I mean, just, That's a great- who, who's regu- regulating this and who's, what's the appeal? I mean, appeal, a legal appeal. What's, what's the entity that I go to if I've been, you know, defrauded?
1: Uh, the answer is there's no one to go to. Okay. It is a true peer-to-peer network. So there were rules that were- And peer-to-peer
0: were, peer could be, you know, people who own them. So you People who own them. Right, yeah, they are right. controlling
1: so. the, the blockchain and the miners are controlling the blockchain. Now, there are rules in the protocol that can't be altered. So there won't be more than 21 million.
0: That can't be altered. Somebody establishes rules. So yeah, that, that, a, those somebody or somebody's could change the rules, It's right? a great
1: question. So if 50 51% of the market wants to change the rules in the fundamental software of how, say, Bitcoin operates, they can vote that way. And what you get is a fork, right? So Bitcoin Cash is an example of that. There used to be one Bitcoin. A bunch of people wanted to... Um, keep the the rate at which it processed transactions the same and that forked off into bitcoin cash that didn't affect what bitcoin was bitcoin was still what bitcoin was and people could vote with their money uh, which which currency they preferred there's an infinite number of those forks if you can get uh, even a minority of people to believe in a fork it can it can spin off with a different protocol right but the majority votes on which protocol is the most valuable. And in this case, Bitcoin remains the most valuable of those protocols.
0: If, if you have these numerous forks that are being created by the vote of 51% or more? Yep. Okay. Um, so does it ever go beyond 21 million? Or the, is-
1: the traditional Bitcoin will stay at 21 million, okay. maximum issuance. But you could get multiple forks off that chain uh, all you want.
0: So what are you doing, Matt, <laughs> mm-hmm. with, um, and, and you joined a, a firm called Bitwise Asset Management. It was formed in 2017. So this is a brand new venture. Yep. And they formed the first cryptocurrency index fund. Yep. Why Why are you getting involved with Bitwise, first of all? And, sure. And, and what's your, do you think your role is going to be in making this a more, you know, legitimate industry that's going to work better.
1: Bitwise created the world's first cryptocurrency index fund. It's called the Hold 10. It's like the S&P 500 for crypto. It holds the 10 largest coins weighted by market cap, uh, and it reconstitutes monthly. So if a new coin makes it in the top 10, it adds that coin and kicks one of the other ones out.
0: And you said so far in its very short life that there have been five that have stayed Basically, are in, in the top 10. Yeah, they are
1: five or and six so it's coins. What is,
0: you said it's, it's, what is it, Bitcoin and Ethereum and...
1: And Ripple and Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin are dominant coins in the ecosystem. And they, they will probably stay in for the foreseeable future.
0: Is there a risk out there to the cryptocurrencies? I mean, could the risk be, for instance, that governments are just going to start to regulate them? Or governments are going to issue their own digital currencies as... Um, you know, yeah, one of the uh, top Fed officials has has said recently that they're looking into it. Is is that could that just blow this small nascent industry that's being you know being run by? You know, very entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. kind of off the grid type of people. Yeah, um, could could that just ruin the whole bit?
1: I'd say I'd say a bunch of things about that. The fact that the Fed said that is probably indication that there's something real and legit right. in this space. And finally, I'd add that increasing regulation is going to be very, very good for the cryptocurrency markets in general. We need more regulation. We need to protect investors from unsavory ICOs. We need rule guards that make products like ours fit into investable frameworks in positive ways. So I'm generally positive. There is an exogenous black swan risk of a reactionary government response that says say makes it illegal to own Monero or some of the other privacy Right. Calls. I mean, hasn't
0: China made China some China, China cracked down noises. as well. Yeah,
1: and, and and you should take that into account when building your index. So one right. thing that we do, we exclude a currency called Cardano. And why do we exclude that? We exclude it because about 80% of the trading takes place on one exchange in South Korea. And so South Korea could decide to crack down on cryptocurrency, and it would destroy the value of Cardano. So we insist that our currencies trade on multiple exchanges to protect against both regulatory and hacking risk. Um, do I think globally governments are going to mm-hmm. crack down and eliminate cryptocurrency? No. But is that a risk that people have to bear if they're going to invest in this space? Absolutely. Um, you know, As I told someone the other day, you don't get high returns without high risk. This has the potential for high returns. It has the potential for significant risks as well. Um, right. So you have to weigh the two. Coins you
0: should avoid, you mentioned if it's just trading on one exchange. Yep. Um, and, and also, you know, there are groups of coins to avoid. I mean, it's
1: well, I would say for for 99% of investors you should who are investing in crypto, you should focus on the largest coins, really the top 10, maybe the top 15, maybe the top five, where you want to draw the lines up to you. But those are established, legitimate products with large potential use cases. There are also a handful of sort of app tokens that are interesting. These are tokens that give you exposure to, say, a file sharing service or an online computer. Those may be interesting. But there is a massive wash of recent ICOs, which are poorly structured, poorly regulated, with huge risks, and in some cases, no definable way for those coins to have any value at all. So I think uh, basically every investor should avoid that area of the market. Uh, there are a few hedge funds that do a good job there, but the due diligence burden is so massive and the fraud potential is so high that you're better off just writing that off and focusing on the most established coins. Um, huge risks.
0: Have you done a transaction personally in a cryptocurrency yet? In for Bitcoin? a day-to-day you-
1: item? As a, as a, other than investing? No, I have no. not. Um, but, uh, but we have at office at the office, we have paid for lunch with Ethereum. That said, <laughs> we exist in the bubble of all bubbles in Silicon Valley, like we exist in the epicenter of the tech industry. So um, I recognize that that is not possible essentially anywhere except for right where we are.
0: One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, is there anything that we all should (laughs) (laughs) sum up in a a long-term diversified portfolio? For the
1: right investor who is risk tolerant, having a small 1% or 2% allocation to cryptocurrency and holding that for five to seven years, And having that exposure be a diversified basket of mostly the largest coins, I think can make sense. It's a non-correlated asset. Uh, It has high potential returns, extraordinarily high risk. The vast majority of your portfolio should be in diversified, extremely low cost index funds and stocks and bonds. But layering an uncorrelated asset uh, that's managed well, I think could make sense. For the right investor with the right level of risk tolerance, yeah. particularly if they're not going to panic and sell uh, when, when the inevitable volatility comes. To right. me, that's the key. Again, it's a venture capital style investment. The payoff is not 2018. The payoff is 2023. And that's how you have to think about it.
0: Okay. Matt Hogan, such a treat to have you and what an interesting discussion. Good luck with your new venture. <laughs> ah,
1: thank you so much. It was great to be here.
0: At the close of every wealth truck, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point heeds Matt Hogan's view that crypto is for the bleeding edge of risk tolerant investors. If you are among that tiny minority, this week's action point is for you. It has put no more than 1% or 2% of your portfolio in cryptocurrencies. This is an extremely speculative area. It is in its infancy, constantly evolving, not regulated and highly susceptible to the booms and bust cycles that accompany every new technology. And to Hogan's point, picking a winner at this stage is improbable, if not impossible. Buyer beware the old caveat emptor is the essential guiding principle of crypto investing. Well, next week, we have an exclusive interview with Gotham Fund's great value investor, Joel Greenblatt. He is combining active with passive strategies to help investors avoid common mistakes. In our extra feature on WealthTrack.com, Matt Hogan discusses the other transformative fields he considered before deciding on a career in cryptocurrencies. As always, we welcome your comments on Facebook and Twitter on this and other topics. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Have a wonderful weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.